You're listening to audio from the Decidedly Podcast. For more information, find us on Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. What's the best gift you've ever gotten? Gotten. <laughs> best gift I've ever gotten. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you one that I thought as at the time was the best gift I had ever gotten. Uh, turns out I, I don't think it was a great decision since we're talking about decision making. Uh, when I was in second grade, my parents that year got me not only a, a mini bike, so a, basically a small motorcycle to drive not around. A, not in a second pedal grade. bike. Not a, not a, a puffy. With an engine. Okay. Yeah, a gas powered okay. engine uh and a shotgun in the same year oh yeah oh Was yeah this at the same the same gifting occasion i i don't re- i don't remember because it was so long ago but i remember thinking that i was the luckiest kid in the world i had this this uh, little motorbike that would drive around the neighborhood um and i had a shotgun it's in second grade Sick. and upon reflection i think probably not the best so decision like, in the world this because- was your shotgun this wasn't. Oh, it was mine. Like, I hey, still have you it. Can come borrow my shotgun that I have. No, it was it was mine, and and I just I think about that, and I'm like, there is no way in the world, uh, I would give a second grader. <laughs> they just let a, you like run the neighborhood with the shotgun. No, I you know they did, they didn't just let me run wild with it, go shooting things, but I, I it was mine. <laughs> Okay, and I I could go drive around in this this little motorcycle. You bought me, though, a, you bought me a shotgun when I was like nine. That's well, that, that's different. By a year or two, <laughs> you were a little older. Wait, now you're gonna you're gonna crap on it's me? That, you know? I, no, I'm not upset by it. I enjoyed it. I got I. It, well, all right. Well, then, I you know I, I hate it wasn't, positioning. It wasn't accessible to the child. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. There's a good okay. decision. There's a good decision. <laughs> you locked it up and you hit it. I did. I I, I, I did. might have been fourth grade. Okay. But I, okay. I do think there is a point where it makes sense because you're teaching the kid about gun safety. Yeah, and, and it's so clearly right, after so you third go. grade. You're right. <laughs> yeah. There's the point. <laughs> I don't know why you brought this up. <laughs> what? I, I brought it up? <laughs> I don't know. How did you bring what? me into this? <laughs> You're giving, you're giving my grandpa a hard time here for giving you a shotgun. Oh, hey, I seem to remember. I still have that shotgun. Oh, man. And speaking of gifts, our guest today gave me the gift of a transformative idea. Today we spoke with Natalia Matviva. We talked about Natalia's experience as a survivor of the Chernobyl nuclear disaster in 1986. And we are almost exactly 36 years to the day um, from that tragic event. We talked about her story as a young seven-year-old girl, how her family evacuated the area, how the trauma of that event and the medical diagnoses that came after it um, plagued her for years and years and years and then how she took her power back from that trauma we also talked about how our core values are gifts they're not for us they are for us to give to other people and that was a, a really radically different way of thinking about that for me and sean so i hope you're going to learn something i know i did my name's sanger smith i'm with sean smith and this is decidedly <laughs> 
Hey, Natalia. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Great, thank you. You have an incredible story. Uh, Actually, it's funny enough. I didn't uh, spend much time in Ukraine. We left uh, when I was seven years old. We lived there for a short period of time. Unfortunately, during that period of time, uh, we lived in a city called Pripyat, which was a mile away from the Chernobyl station. And we lived exactly at the time when the Chernobyl accident happened. So that was in... Uh, that was in 1986. Right. So some almost uh, to the week, you know, 36 and 36 years ago. Did we do math for a living? We got to get these correct. 34. <laughs> oh, 36. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> did you just, did you just, oh man, you just criticize me. Oh, for edit that, please. Oh no. Yeah. Well, it's been a long down. day. I, I'm sorry, but your dad I is remember, right. So I, I want to hear, uh, I want to hear about that story. Cause I, I remember when it happened and you know, it, it, it seemed like a bigger, I, you know, event in the news than I was probably grasping at the, at the time I was, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think I was in, in college. Um, but you know, obviously it was a lot bigger event, uh, than I, than I realized. I mean, it's, you know, it's still having effects today. I mean, we saw in the news, yeah. you know, some, uh, Russian soldiers who had dug into the ground and taken over that site and still had radioactive, uh, poisoning from, the, from that. Yeah. So the you soldiers you, today yeah. got that. That's yeah, um, wow. it, it, it's going to be for the next 30,000 years. Yeah. The place is not um, good for living for the next 30,000 years, and there, there's nothing you can do about it. That's uh, the problem with the nuclear power plants. On one hand, uh, they provide amazing uh, amount of energy uh, uh, for people, and, but on the other hand, if something goes wrong, it goes really wrong. Yeah. So you were, I mean, you were young at the at the time, six or seven years old when you left. Six. So tell me about what you know. What were your recollections of that day, that event? Uh, just parents come in and say, "We're getting out of here." Or how did that go? Oh no! You have to understand that the KGB and the military guys didn't let anyone know. Oh jeez. The only reason why people were evacuated was that Finland got a wave of radioactive death and they started to question Russia what's going on because of course it was um, a bit after the uh, Cold War but radiation uh, was not fun and everyone around Russia was always looking if something is happening still so when Finland got the wave they realized that something is wrong and they wanted to understand where it comes from that's how Russia admitted about the accident on the Chernobyl uh, power plant. Before that, they wanted to make it quiet. They didn't want anyone to know, and they didn't start evacuation until the third day. Wow. So people were basically uh, living as nothing has happened because no, no one was told except the people who worked at the station. They obviously knew. Well, I, I mean, I would imagine that some people in the in the area would have to have known something happened, right? I mean, there's a there's a big blast, there's noise, there's... The blast wasn't a uh, big one. It was a, more like a heat wave. 
it wasn't like something was truly burning because when uh, you cannot see radiation, yeah, you feel a bit dizzy, you feel um, out of place, but radiation is unseen. That's the problem with radioactive stuff is um, it affects you, but you don't notice. You don't realize until you have the side effect. And by the time you have the um, side effects of it, um, you've already been exposed to a great amount of radiation. Uh, so um, people uh, didn't know. And um, the workers from the power plant could not tell because they were under the oath to the government uh, and to, as a military server. Because they basically everyone who worked at the station uh, was like a military person. So what was it, what was it like when when word finally came out? I mean, I guess Finland was alerted. Uh, Russia mm -hmm. finally had, or Soviet Union finally had to uh, make the announcement that there was an accident. Word gets mm -hmm. to you guys living a mile away from the site. Uh, how does how does word get to you? Somebody come knock on the door from the military, and how did that go? No. So the word didn't get out when the Finland um, noticed it. The Finland started to speak with the government, uh, and the government officials uh, uh, started to evacuate people on 29th of April. Oh, wow. Uh, so about three days later. So, and people still didn't know anything. They were told that uh, they're going for the um, May 1st holidays out of the city. But they were not told that they never gonna come back. So they were, they were just they were evacuating by... people, saying, "Hey, look, mm -hmm. we're gonna go on holiday together." Yeah. Wow. I can't so nobody took their stuff government. or anything. That's exactly why they didn't tell people, because otherwise people would start to take stuff, and all this stuff had radiation dust. So what happens? You take things with the radioactive dust into the territory that is clean. The reason for not telling to the people, that's just my mm, thinking, but the reason was to avoid panic and to avoid uh, of taking the radioactive things into clear areas. Wow. So they said to leave so everything, could, just leave it as it was. Uh, the, even the hair was cut because it had radioactive dust. The hair was like on fire. Wow, so people had to... Like mm -hmm. shave their heads? We cut them short. But basically it's for your own safety because if you have radiation on your head, it affects your brain. It affects your yeah. um, actual brain. Yeah, that that's uh, fascinating. So I don't it, I wouldn't have thought of that if someone you know no. if I'm trying to put myself in that position, if I was told I've got to evacuate there's radiation, I wouldn't have thought to not bring things with me. And I certainly wouldn't have thought to cut my hair. You cannot eat anything that was exposed to radiation because basically you're putting the radioactive dust inside. You cannot touch anything. You have to be cleaned and you have to be changed. You cannot take anything, like literally not a dog, not a pet, um, not a, not nothing. You leave the, we left the apartment as it was. It was, it was just standing there and nothing was taken. And so are those apartments still, they're still yeah. there today, exactly mm -hmm. like they were when they were left? Yeah. Twenty uh, on the twentieth anniversary, my mom and I was smart or stupid enough uh, to go back uh, to our apartment and to my school. And she was working as a doctor at the uh, nuclear power station uh, hospital. 
um, so she was saving the people who would come uh, who worked at the station and uh, so she went to her hospital um, what was left of it apparently but because after 20 years of being abandoned it looks absolutely different it looks totally different and i went to the what, in what way what do you mean it looks different the nature took over yeah through okay. the buildings they uh the plants were growing through the buildings the trees on the buildings it's like um one of the horror movies that you see and if you google all the pictures of the pipits right now you will be able to see all the uh, changes that the nature has made. Yeah. Because when people, when there are no people, nature recovers pretty fast. I should say. So what was it, what was it like to go back after all those years? Um, for me, uh, it was therapeutical because um, for all those twenty years, I realized that I've never, I, I'm never going to be as healthy as I could have been otherwise if I wouldn't be exposed. Uh, I wouldn't be um, as physical, but at the same time, coming back gave me a very great emotional and mental release of all the suppressed pain that I had over the years because when you were exposed and people were not actually uh, described what it means to be exposed to the uh, radiation and uh, that you are not that you cannot pass this radiation to other people a lot of um, general public that we met later on was afraid to interact with us i'll give you an example as yeah. um, uh, we were taken to the hospital after the accident, because we started to vomit, the radiation gives you a very big hit in terms of your immune system, your feeling, and you feel like you've been poisoned because you 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 are actually you're poisoned by the radiation. So we started uh, to uh, to throw up, and we were we ended up in a hospital. So the nurses and the doctors were afraid to touch us. They were afraid to even touch us because they didn't know how much radiation we got and what's going to be the consequences for them. And we were put, as kids, my sister and I were put in one small room, and we were not allowed to go and interact with other kids or with anyone else. And doctors didn't want to enter our room because they were afraid that they're going to be exposed to radiation as well. So you, we, we were basically like guinea pigs in a small place, not um, away from our parents, away from our older brother, because he was... To, taking to another hospital uh, and totally alone. And imagine like, we by that time we turned seven years old. But just imagine a seven years old kid in a place you've never been in a hospital feeling crappy and everyone else is afraid of you. Yeah, that would be so very for difficult me, to handle, especially at that young age. For me, it was really a traumatic uh, situation, no one tells you, no one explains you. There were no psychologists, there were no help. I uh, went outside of the room and I saw a boy who played on the floor. And I went to the boy to play because I, after many days alone, I wanted to interact with somebody. I saw a nurse, which happened to be his mom, screaming out of her lungs, like, come here, come here, don't touch her, don't play with her. She was afraid to the point that she didn't go to retrieve her son. 
she screamed for him to come to her. Wow, so she wouldn't even come near you to get him. Yeah, now imagine how people felt when they were so excluded. Yeah. And it wasn't just us, it was everyone who happened to be a Chernobyl victim. So coming back 20 years later and relieving the situation and leaving all this emotional baggage there, it was unbelievably amazing for me. But I did it on purpose. It was my decision to stop being a victim and start taking control over my life and um, deciding what I want. So, and what yeah, I what, really deserve. What made you want to decide to go back? Because that's a, that, that's a I big mean, it, decision. it seems incredibly dangerous. Yeah. First of all, it is incredibly dangerous because I took uh, my first Walkman there and it costed me a lot of money. It was, <laughs> and it was the stupidest decision ever because it died the second we passed uh, the 30 kilometer zone. It just turned off and never turned on. So even 20 years later, no devices should be taken to that zone. Just um, so that you know, in the uh, case of um, radioactive exposure, um, not, not, not a single electronic is going to work. They, they cannot stand the radiation. Oh, is that not right? A single if, you, phone. if you take electronics yep. into that zone, they stop working? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. To this, Wow. So when people take, there are pictures, I mean, you can, I just looked and, and Google searched some images of Chernobyl today, but there are pictures, are, are those yeah. not digital so, cameras? They can't take digital cameras? Or is that uh, different? Uh, good question. I don't know which cameras they take, but I know that still to this day, maybe because I've, um, I was, it was 20 years and now it's 36, maybe it works better. Or maybe they have some kind of cameras, different cameras. But my, all my devices didn't work. Wow. They just stopped working. Did, did that make you reevaluate the decision to go back and visit your old home once you got in there and started to see the effects right away of getting into that area? No. And I can explain why. Uh, the whole family was offered to go. But only my mom and I decided to go. Offered like somebody... We both sponsored the trip or, or what um no um it was the uk journalist who said that we need to uh, we want to film for the 20th anniversary we want to film like an interview and a video of a family and if your family is fine with that uh we would love to take you there if you want to go my brother my sister and my father refused my mom and i said we were we're gonna go and because my, both my mom and i needed a closure and for us it was important to have it and that was our closure. How did your family react to your decision to go? They all said that we are crazy. <laughs> that seems like a normal response. <laughs> it may not be too far off. There. Yeah. <laughs> it depends how you look at it. Because if you, emotion, if you emotionally know that you need it, it's better to do it and better to leave it all behind because I took so much out of it in terms of going through everything. Instead of shoveling everything into the subconscious level, I decided to go there and re-experience it, but leave it there. It's like a wound. If you try to uh, pretend that it's not there and cover it with something like 
uh, but it still stays yeah. and then grows and it grows and it grows and then you cannot get rid of so it. How did that wound manifest itself in your later life, right? So you leave at seven years old and you go back at 27 or, or thereabouts. Mm-hmm. Between seven and 27, what what was happening in your life that made the, where this trauma revealed itself? There was two traumas. There was the uh, event itself and the fact that I overheard my parents talking to the doctors. So there were Japanese doctors who studied Hiroshima and Nagasaki who came to the to Kiev, to the radiologist center in Kiev to help to, for, to the victims, to people who lived there. Um, and they inspected us. They took all the measurements, the blood and so forth. And they gave us from five to ten years to leave. So we, I was basically supposed to die by seven, maximum. Oh my god! Wow. And I was and the only child. And you heard this when you were a child. They told mm-hmm. you that. So my parents were having a talk, and you know how kids listen. Yeah. So my sister didn't listen. My brother didn't listen. I did, and that was a mistake too, <laughs> by the way. So I overheard it, and I realized that I'm not gonna leave more than for next 10 years. So I'm going to die by 17 or earlier. So I don't have time to waste. And I don't have health to waste. And mentally, I couldn't say it to my sister because she would be traumatized. And I realized I don't want her to be scared. I could not tell my brother because my brother would tell my parents. And for some reason, I decided to not tell my parents not to be punished for listening where I shouldn't be. So you knew this uh, information, but they didn't know mm -hmm. you knew. Mm -hmm. They didn't know that you were operating under the assumption you had Mm -hmm. 10 years to live, that you were going to die by 17. How did that impact, you know, teenagers aren't the best decision makers in the world. Uh, This had to weigh heavy on your decision making. Were you aware that that was impacting your decision making? Uh, yes, because, um, uh, I can tell you that since that time, I've always felt that I don't have enough time, that I have to do everything now. It's now or never. And I think that in my case, it was a really smart decision. I think that this experience has been a blessing, even though it's a very scary blessing, because it totally changed my mindset. And I believe we uh, manifest in life everything that inside of us we believe we can do. So knowing that I'm going to die or might die sooner than most people gave me the ability to make decisions right away. For me, it takes about three minutes to make hard decisions. And about uh, two hours, if it's a decision that has to be made uh, and it will have implications uh, for a couple of years. For example, starting a business or selling a business, it's only going to take two hours to make this decision. And for some people, such decisions are very hard to make. Some people never make those decisions. You know, that's Some people exactly. delay that decision-making process inevitably. That's that's really interesting because as a as a financial advisor, one of the things I look at when I when I model out someone's financial plan is there's a inherent longevity risk, particularly with upper income individuals, wealthier individuals who tend to mm-hmm. uh, have 
more immediate access to healthcare. Longevity mm-hmm. risk is a real issue. And so it impacts mm-hmm. our decision making on how we save, how we invest, how we spend, all of those types of things, how we buy long term health care, how we buy life insurance. Mm-hmm. All of these things are impacted. And there are financial decisions that people have to make based on a longevity assumption. And so you're operating under this knowledge that that may mm-hmm. not happen for you, that everything's going to be uh, a condensed time frame. And I really like how you're thinking about it in terms of your, your thinking that's impacting your decision-making. You're acknowledging that's impacting your decision-making, that time is a precious resource. So is, is, that, is that fair? It, um, it's really fair. More than that, I have to uh, take it consciously into account four types of, dis, uh, of um, variables that are going to affect my decision. For example, for you, if you're going to do um, like a marathon, you just decide, I'm going to train this much, do that, and do the marathon in like six months. For me, it's a different time frame. For my health, it's a different issue. For my mental state, it's a different set of mind. And um, if you go for, even if for a business decision, I believe that when we cannot accomplish something, it's because we're not all in. Mm. And by all in, I don't mean just mentally, I want it. Because a lot of people want something. Everybody always wants it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, I mean that your mind has to be persuaded or has to be uh, in in terms of, yes, mentally I can handle that and I can get involved into, for example, that business. I, physically, your body has to say, yes, I have resources for that. Your emotional state has to be calm enough and centered enough for you to go through all the ups and downs that achieving your goal might include. And your spiritual side has to be in it because um, if you're doing something against your core values, it's not going to work as well. So... People who haven't had physical issues, haven't had mental issues, haven't had um, emotional issues, or are not connected to the spirituality, for them it's just the mind decision. Oh, I think that I have, I calculated this, and I think I can do it. And at the end, they achieved maybe half of it, maybe 70%, maybe nothing. And the reason is that they haven't calculated all the necessary parts, the mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual, if all of them are not 100% in, you're not going to win. You're not going to make it to the goal. And the problem, I don't believe in lazy people. I don't believe in procrastination. It exists, but it's not what people think. It's when your body is against something and doesn't want to do something or doesn't have resources, enough resources to accomplish something. It's when your mental state is exhausted to the point that mentally you cannot, uh, your mental, uh, your basically mental state says, if I allow her to do this, she will be mentally broken by the end of it. She will reach that goal, 
but she will be mentally broken because it's going to take too much energy out of her and she needs it. And those four types of different energies, emotional energy, physical, spiritual, blah, 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 they all multiply. So if you don't have physical energy to accomplish your goal, it's going to be multiplied by zero. Think what you're going to get at the end. So you believe that there are no lazy people. There are only people Mm. who are all in or people who aren't. The people... I believe that there are people who haven't realized that parts of them are against achieving something that they want. Yeah, I I, and, and, I can see and, that and, all the time in the work that I do, where there will be people who maybe they have certain financial goals that mm-hmm. they're working towards, and they consistently take action that is in contrast or, or going to harm their chances of achieving that goal. Mm-hmm. And it takes a long time, but eventually either I recognize it for them or they admit it that they don't really care. <laughs> they don't actually want to do that. After a and while of might, them not doing anything, you finally realize it, right? <laughs> yeah, I'll say a, a lot of times I ask, I say things this way. I go, hey, Natalia, you told me that you wanted to do X. Mm-hmm. So I'm following up. Have you done the things that I told you are necessary to accomplish X? No. Okay. You haven't done it. All right. Well, I'm going to continue to remind you about this until one of two things happen. You either do it or you tell me that you don't want to anymore. And either one's fine. I'm fine with either one. It's totally okay. I'm not going to judge you. You don't have to do Mm -hmm. it just because I I'm asking you. I'm only asking you because you told me you wanted to. And a lot of times people go, okay, I do want to do it. Keep reminding me. And then sometimes people say, yeah, okay, thank you. I don't care, man. I don't want to do that at all. And I go, great. Now we're not wasting time. So when people do believe that they want to do it, in the moment they do, that's the problem. They're not lying to you. You think that they lied to you, but they actually did not. What they didn't calculate is that a part of them, like a certain mindset, for example, mindset is like a forest. There is a river, there is a uh, rock, there is a mountain, there is like um, different types of obstacles. What happens is that if you are all in, if you emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and physically decided to go all in, and there is a process for that. I'm not just talking about it. There is a process to align all all the parts of your being in order to achieve this goal. If you're all in, when you get to the obstacle, the phys- if it's a physical obstacle, the physics goes like, I know how to deal with it. Here's what we need. We need one day off. We need these vitamins. Here, we need this sport. I'm, we're going to do it. If you um, get to the emotional part, you like meditate and you're centered if you are all in. If you get to the mental part, okay, this pattern used to work for me. Now it sabotages me reaching the goal but you have to do it consciously and not many people even realize that they have four parts and each part can want something else one part wants to sit on the bench another part wants uh, to stop quarreling with the family third part wants to be physically fit and if you don't align all of them inside of you you don't have resources you don't have the energy in you to do it 
That's why you start to procrastinate. That's why you start to um, avoid and saying and giving excuses why you cannot achieve it. But in reality, it's just an internal war that um, manifests outside by not, you not reaching the goal. So if you if you have a big decision, but you were talking about some of your decision making mm-hmm. earlier that that it might mm-hmm. take you two hours if it's a big sort of life changing decision. The smaller mm-hmm. decisions probably happen intuitively or instinctively. Are you are you mentally going through that sequence of evaluation mm-hmm. and, and and framework to say mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, how am I aligned? Mm-hmm. Am I all in uh, on this decision? Are you, are you walking through it that? Uh, definitively i go exactly i go through each of them and if some of them are against but i really want it i try to negotiate if my physical body says listen we've done this and this and that this is a bit extreme i'm not sure i can handle it i go like okay what if physically i'm gonna i'll prepare i'll do this and i'll do extra that and i cut on some of other activities and then will it work and I can get a sense of a feeling inside of my body. Yes, it will work. Then I will have enough energy. Because we have like a, um, we are like cars. We have tanks for fuel. And our fuel is um, life energy. And we get it from two sources. One source is like the physical body that we were given when we were born. With all the DNA, all the um, ancestors kind of inherited capabilities and then we have um i believe i'm very much believe in a spiritual power in the power of inner self and it has to do with the mindset if your mind rules your life you're screwed if your soul controls your mind to do what you want you can achieve anything and i'm an example of that physically i should have been dead 26 years ago that was the physical, actual data, medical data that I was given. I'm here. I'm happy. I'm relatively healthy. And I manage all the things. And I s- still have fuel, energy in me to achieve and be successful in business, in personal life. How do you, how do you get to a point where you're referencing the spiritual over the mental when you're making decisions? I mean, how do you, how do you begin to prioritize that intention with intentionality? Um, I can tell for me that when you see a lot of people around you dying fast and they have had the same cards of being in Chernobyl, uh, you realize that it's not only physical, it has to be something else. And as a kid, I, was, um, I wasn't religious, but I've always been spiritual. And I realized this inner power of a soul. Um, and at some point, I gave, because my mental state wasn't the best one. My physical state wasn't the best one. My emotional state was swinging right and left. Because when you're on a constant level, when you feel bad and when you have to overcome with your will all the physical limitations you have in order to achieve something, it wears you out. It burns you down. And um, the only thing that you can rely on is your inner power. 
And I believe this inner power comes from our soul and from, from our connection to, the, uh, to God or to the higher source or to the higher intelligence. We all have different names for it. But I believe as soon as we are connected and we true to ourselves, to our core values, we can achieve anything. And we don't die not only because of the physical circumstances, but because of the connection. If we have a purpose, if we have our values, and if we are on our own path, we don't die. Literally, we don't. Um, on one of EO events, there was a, well, in Japan, EO University in Japan. Yeah, uh, there was organization in Japan. And, yeah. Uh, they set up a university, and I went there, and I met um, an architect. He has half of his organs removed due to some sickness. And physically and medically, a human being cannot live without half of the organs, and he does. And I came to him after his talk because I was super curious, and I said, I'm uh, 20 years late to my deathbed. Uh, I know how I did it, but I wonder how you did it. He said just one phrase, we live until we live, until we have a purpose to live, until we are needed on this planet, until we're connected to life, to like a bigger life, the source, God, higher intelligence, we live. It what gives us life. It's not just a physical thing. It's not. We're not robots. We're not um, ants. We're not just basic animals. We're spiritual human beings. And if we are led by our soul, and if our decisions are taking into account from four different perspectives, like physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual, and we go all in, we can achieve anything. We are abundantly capable of achieving whatever we want to if we actually go all in and we do, uh, we do it for the purpose and according to our core values. Because I believe that most of the sicknesses and most of the issues with health not, I'm not taking the car crash or um, some external mm, yeah. circumstances that have already like inflicted too much on your body. But in general, I believe uh, that a, a lot of most of the sicknesses are coming from our inner wars, in between our mind, in between our heart, because uh, in between our m mental patterns that don't work for us anymore. Because we have to clean our, man, the, the mind is the same as the body. If you don't clean it, it has a lot of mess in it, the past mess. It's like a kitchen that haven't been cleaned for like 42 years. If you haven't done any work on your spiritual and mental side, uh, mental fitness should be like a must. Because if you haven't cleaned the kitchen, your mental kitchen for 40 something years, oh God, that's the mental situation we have right now in the world. The, the kitchens haven't been cleaned and it's obvious the people are going um, 
the, the burnout is number one problem right now. And that's exactly the issue. And how do you make decisions when you burn out? Yeah. You can. The, um, have you heard of uh, the Blue Zones? Mm -mm. So a uh, guy named Dan Butner wrote a book called The Blue Zones, and it's about these areas of the world where people live the longest. And he mm -hmm. observed um, different communities where the average life expectancy was, was higher. And mm -hmm. what was interesting is that, it, you know, before I read this, I had heard, um, I heard a lot of things about longevity. Oh, like uh, random broad categories. Oh, Asian people live longer mm -hmm. or, you know, um, you got to, you know, don't eat, you know, if you have a bad diet, you'll, you'll die sooner or whatever it was. And very, very broad. And he got very specific with it. And what was interesting is that he found certain very small communities um, mm -hmm. all around the world. Like, I think there was some sort of town in California. Um, there's a town in Japan. There was every continent had at least one. Right. So it wasn't ethnic and it mm -hmm. wasn't cultural, um, mm -hmm. but he observed a lot of the similarities across these very different cultures that all had long life expectancies. And one of them was nurturing your religious and spiritual experience. So areas where people attended um, a some sort of religious service once a week. That was on mm -hmm. the list and it didn't matter which one, right? It didn't, mm -hmm. it didn't matter necessarily even how strict people were about the, the, you know, particular beliefs mm -hmm. or traditions. It was the fact that that played a role in their lives um, and being a part of a community. And those are the things that I think everything else on the list makes a lot of sense, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Don't eat you know, all big portions, exercise, but not too much, you know, drink wine, but not a lot of it. Right. Mm -hmm. Those like we've all heard and they kind of, yeah, okay. It mm -hmm. makes sense. They were about physical health, but he found that the spiritual health mattered a lot too. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, if you notice that people who have mental or um, issues or emotional issues, um, they begin to look older. Yeah. Uh, and the uh, emotional turmoil really destroys immune system. Um, there was some, I don't remember who did the studies, but they studied that um, if you emotionally were sad or in pain or frustrated, um, your immune system is going to be affected for a week. Wow. And now, get back to the past two years with all the news on TV. What do you think is the emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual state of people who have been in fear, pain, emotional turmoil, and frustration for the past two years? Yeah. Well, I guess we're going to get a lot more ugly folks out of this. And well, you know, it's 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 interesting. You know, I took a uh, two two courses in a uh, a topic called face reading, which was about lines in people's faces. And there were there were many of those that were 
demonstrably uh, accentuated due to trauma uh, around the mm-hmm. face. And you could look at at somebody's certain lines. You go, okay, that is a that's a trauma line. It was really interesting. Um, so I, I I totally understand what you're saying is that the 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 mental trauma, uh, the lack of spiritual connectivity certainly impacts and translates over to the physical. And, um, you know, so it's, it's interesting to see you do that. And I'm sure, you know, I want to kind of hear how you moderate that spirituality so that it impacts the decision-making. Like, what are you doing to uh, bring that to the forefront to get clarity on, on what that spirituality is so that you can make clearer decisions? First of all, I want to define spirituality. For me, spirituality, it's not mushroom trip in Tulum that some people get and call that they're they're very spiritual and now everything is known. I do believe in um, uh, in herbal medicine, but I believe that first um, it starts with you actually knowing your patterns and being aware of your old patterns and being aware of what you want to achieve in the future and who you want to be. For example, if I didn't start with, first of all, realizing my patterns, they would always be there as obstacles in order for me to achieve any goal. So I believe that a lot of things have to start with you truly facing a mirror and saying who I am not to judge yourself and not to uh, blame. Blaming, uh, judging, um, and um, being upset about it doesn't help. We have like a dark side of us, like Carl Jung said, and a good side of us. And dark is not necessarily uh, bad because if you are attacked by a tiger, you have to be in rage and in anger in order to protect yourself. If you see somebody harming a child, what would you do? Would you just stand and say, don't do it? No, you would actually, you would have to do something to protect the child because the child cannot do it for himself or herself. So we do have the dark side inside of us in order to act in certain circumstances the problem is that right now we mixed everything together and it's kind of a salad instead of defined understanding of who we are. And it's all starts from within. Like I ask myself a question, what are my core values? Not, and there are conscious and subconscious core values. Believe it or not, when people say that their core values is A, B, C, and then you look at them and they act differently. It's not because they want to break them, but because on the conscious level, those are their core values, but on the subconscious level, they have a different set. And subconscious core values win. Yeah, sometimes people Always. are not able to be honest with themselves about what their values are. Mm-hmm. Because they're, the environment in which they were raised, their family, um, their country might have a certain particular set of values and they think, oh, well, you Mm -hmm. know what? I really should, this really should be important to me. And it's not, it's not important to them, but they think that it has to be. And they think that if it's not important to them, that means they're not a good person. 
And people, first of all, most people don't even attempt to align themselves to their values or even attempt to outline their values. But I think the biggest problem for people that do that prevents them from being aligned is that they aren't upfront with themselves about what actually even matters. And I've been there. Mm-hmm. I've been there where I've said to myself privately and no one's even around, oh, this is important. And I realized after years of not prioritizing that, not doing anything um, to to further that value or to bring that forward in my life, I go, oh, I don't care. It's not for me. So I'm going to quit lying to myself and I'm going to quit feeling like a failure. I'm just going to admit there are other mm-hmm. things that are more important and that's fine. And um, we don't have to be, I have identical twin sister. We don't have to be twins, all of us. Yeah. Our values don't have to match. We're, we're born, um, we're all interconnected. That's why community and spirituality uh, plays a bigger role. But we are all individuals. And it's not the color of the hair that dif- differs you from me. It's your values. Because after all, your values are your gifts. And if you don't know your core value, true uh, subconscious core values, you don't know your gifts. Those are the people who jump from one work to another and saying, I still haven't found my thing. You still haven't found your true core values because yeah. those are the gifts that you have to give to the universe and to other people in your community in order to be successful. What, what decision do you think most people get wrong in life? They go about trying to find who other people are while they have to concentrate first and answering one question, who am I? Because that's going to change everything. If I'm here to support you on your path and to make sure you succeed, I'm here working um, as a piece of a puzzle or a system that is needed yeah. for somebody else's success. If that puzzle is missing, the success uh, other people won't get success. So I am equally as important as other people, but I'm just a part, and we are all just a part. And when we know which puzzle is ours, and we're not trying to be, if a heart will one day say, I want to be liver, your body is going to die. That's the whole system. Yeah. If we lie to ourselves that we are the heart or the liver or other, some other part, we, we don't allow the system to develop as it sh- could have developed for the better of a greater good for all of us. How do you, all think, of us. How do you think people can figure out who they are? Um, they can sit down and do a, set of exercises in order to understand their conscious core values and subconscious core values because subconscious core values as i said they're the gift and then if they look at it and they see oh helping people or i like numbers or uh, i like giving people advice and they wake up and they give a financial advice to people and thanks to that (laughs) other people benefit yeah it's because you transmit your core values, understanding that they're gifts into something that is necessary for other people, for the community. 
and now you're best at it because it's your inner true core value. Yeah, I got really that works lucky. as a gift. I got super mm-hmm. lucky because I didn't know that I could live out my core values doing this, even when I chose it. Really, mm-hmm. like, I I think that for for me it was it was something that was easy. Um, not that I consciously, not that I choose things that it was easy in that way. I mean, um, it was because I was so aware of, mm-hmm. and I had so much knowledge and wisdom passed down from Sean. It was almost mm-hmm. like, wow, wow, I would be foolish to waste this. That was the gift that I was given mm-hmm. was, oh, I have mm-hmm. so much more than I otherwise would have at that, at, mm-hmm. you know, 18 years old. When I'm thinking about what do I want to do for the rest of my life? I go, wow, I, I actually know way more about this thing than I know about any other thing. And, and I didn't mm-hmm. choose to learn about it, really. I just kind of accidentally realized that I knew all this. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I remember it, it kind of hit me when um, my, I, I took economics my junior year of um, mm-hmm. high school. And then my senior year, I had already done so many credits that they said, hey, um, you actually can have four free periods. So you can only go, you, you can just be like a part-time student. And I said, geez, like, what am I going to do? You know, what am I going to do for four free periods? Like, I, I said, can I, can I just do economics again? <laughs> and I took <laughs> economics again for a second time. And my teacher first day of class goes, dude, why are you here? Like you didn't <laughs> fail. You got an A last year. I said, yeah, it's just fun. And, um, and that was when I started to realize, and it was fun because I knew enough already before I even took it the first year to like mm-hmm. really engage with the teacher. And, and he was very knowledgeable, really engage with it and really dig into it instead of just learn the basics and try to pass the test. Um, but then as I grew in my career and I spent more time working with clients and planning things out and, and really getting deep into it, I realized, oh, I can also teach. I can also teach and I didn't, you, you pointed it out. A lot of people don't even notice that about financial advisors. It's like, yeah, I can, I can teach. I really, I thought I was going to be an English teacher whenever I was in high school. I thought I was going to be an English teacher. And then I went to economics class and became a financial advisor, which sounds like it's totally different and it is totally different, but it's very similar in that component. I'm showing, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm giving people knowledge and, and wisdom and allowing them to explore and understand for themselves. And that's what I really like more than the numbers. You know, that you were talking about the, the values part and, and I, I had never put it that way. I think intuitively I, I realized there were two different, you know, levels of values, you know, the conscious and the subconscious, as you were talking about, and, you know, and Sanger and I both go through processes with clients where we sort of discover what their values are. And, and one of the ways that I've, I've historically sort of dug to that second level is by just questioning, just asking the questions. Okay, you've said philanthropy is one of your values. Tell me about that. You know, in other words, is that being manifest in their life? Are there actions that are demonstrating that this is a value that they are really in, engaged with? Or is it just something that they feel like they ought to say? And, and mm-hmm. so then we go through and, and look at, well, if it's not something that you're engaged in, yet you're still saying it's one of your values, how do we find a way for this value to express itself? 
And I can sort of see if there's energy around taking those actions to allow that value to manifest itself. And there is, if there isn't, then what I've sort of realized is that it's not one of the values that's, that's really making the cut, yeah. you know, and, and to put it in your vernacular, it's, it's not one of those subconscious values, which I really like. I'm going to start using that, but it's, uh, you know, when you look at decision-making, are you seeing that there are decisions that people struggle with more than not if they haven't sort of uh, discovered what these conscious and unconscious values really are for themselves? Are you, are you finding there are harder yes. decisions that they have to make? Yes, it's because um, if you don't know your core values and your gifts and you're choosing from a variety of things, how do you choose which path to take? It's like you have five unlimited amount, let's say 500 uh paths to take and because there is no uh, compass basically uh, your core values are a compass that guides you which yeah. way to go and then even then there will be at least like 50 other choices and then you need to ask yourself a question why so people who are who don't know their gifts their core values their purpose they're lost in the forest and they basically, where do I go? What do I do? And if they go, uh, and if they start on a wrong path, like for example, you are a lucky one because your father showed you the way, and this way appeared to be your way. But imagine a different situation if it's not your way, but you already know a lot, and you're going through it, but you're suffering. You don't really want to do it, but you're kind of pushing it through. And what happens now, you're, you don't know your core values, you're on the wrong path. You use your willpower that runs out at some point. Yeah. Um, and you're pushing through and you're far enough in your life that you don't want to change it because it's great income, but I hate yeah. myself and I hate everyone else. And now else I got a mortgage and kids and mm -hmm. a complicated mm -hmm. situation. And you're and stuck in it. Yeah. And people get and stuck really easily. A heart that acts like a liver and appears to be closer to the ass. Yeah. <laughs> and that's it. And that's that's uh, what people where people have to stand in front of a mirror and say, "Hey, here's what I am. I've taken a, a wrong path. Now I need to figure out who I am and take the right path." But the problem is that by that time. Everyone around you expects you to be the same kind of a person. And it takes a lot of courage, spiritual power, and mental fitness and emotional mm. fitness to make this decision for yourself, to accept that you've made a huge mistake by pretending to be someone you have never been. Now, how do you think it, do you think people make a different type of mistake when they're deciding who they are. Um, what I see a lot, particularly in our, the last like 20 years of our culture mm -hmm. is it seems like, and I, I don't know, I wasn't around 40 years ago, but it seems like people talk more about this topic than before. Right. It seems like a fresher idea. And the fact that we're talking about it right now, I guess proves the mm -hmm. point, but there's this wave of, Hey, be, be your authentic self, be your true self. 
not everyone's going to phrase it the way that we're talking about it and, and relate it to core values or decision-making, but there is this idea out there in this narrative, hey, be yourself. And I see a lot of people interpret that in a way that to me doesn't seem like the way that we're interpreting it. What we're saying is find what actually really matters to you, not what should matter to you. Mm-hmm. Find what matters to you. Find what your gifts are. Find what your talents are and do that. And, and are, are there any other mistakes that, that people are making from your point of view other than simply not doing that well enough? Yeah, it's when they actually do it, but it, it take it to the wrong um, level. For example, if I know that my core value is unconditional love and I know that um, my core value is support and I know that my core value is spirituality, I can go to Nepal and just sit and be a monk. Or I can go to Bali and say that I'm right now I'm transcendent, I transcended this and that, which is not going to be true. The, what... M- some people don't realize that the gifts is not something that you're going to give. Unconditional yeah. love, it's not something that I will get. It's something that I should give to others. Support, yeah. it's not something that I will get. It's something that I should give to others. It's not about me. It's about community. When you take your core values, you turn them around into gifts, and gifts are to be given Oh, I love that. Taken. I love that so much, Natalia. I was just talking today about the difference between success and significance. And they sound similar, right? Sort of. Um, if you don't spend much time thinking about either word, they seem like almost the same thing. And um, what the conclusion that I, I drew with that is that success is inwardly focused and significance is outwardly focused. And mm-hmm. I think that you've you've just made this so much clearer for me, which is that people who who attempt to live in alignment with their values, who are still focused inwardly with those values, are are ultimately going to feel unfulfilled. If they can, ter- the the value, the things that are important to us make us who we are. Mm-hmm. But we're not designed or created to get our own pleasure and joy for ourselves. We're designed to express those values to others and give them as gifts. And that's beautiful. And that's so much more meaningful and so much more significant. Um, I mean, even if it's even in like a, a gift of, oh, my value is family, right? A simple one that's pretty common. Um, well, it's not so I can feel good about having my family around. And if that's how I, if, if that's how I treat it, um, they're not going to be around very much. <laughs> they're not going to really want to be around me. I'm not going to have a great family, a well-connected family. I'm not going to have meaningful relationships within the family. Um, but if my value of family means, oh, I have to give to my family because they matter to mm-hmm. me, I mm-hmm. do things for them. That changes it entirely. We're all interdependent. We're all getting so much from everyone else. For example, somebody created this platform for us to get the interview. We didn't code it in order to have this interview, right? We just got it as a gift from somebody who have already done it. Yes, we pay for it, but we don't pay as much as it costed for them to create it and to come up with the idea. We have our headphones. They've been created by somebody. 
but they're helping us to have this good communication and hear each other and speak to each other. We have clothes that it's on us. Some people in China have been making them for us, partially as a gift because we're never gonna pay for this as much as it actually costs. Because if you right now, if you need to plant cotton, uh, wait for it uh, to grow, create some clothes, imagine how many years yeah. it would take us to be here and to talk to each other using all the computers, all the stuff, the light, the electricity, everything. It's a gift. It's a gift that has been turned into somebody's work that we benefit from. And everything around us are gifts. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Are there? Uh, you, you have any any final decision making words of wisdom for us we, as we wrap up? Yeah, the most important decision is to make your decision. Yeah, I agree because with we that. Because we listen to a lot that of is... people, a lot of knowledgeable. Make your own decisions. I, because you're gonna pay the price anyway. Yeah. I agree with that so much. Indecision is a disease that plagues us as a society. Uh, it's been an amazing pleasure to talk to you guys, and thank you for making it very cozy over coffee. You are both amazing. Thank you so, so oh, this much. This has been so much fun talking with you. I appreciate it. Yeah, it has. My takeaways from our, our discussion with Natalia are really two main discussion, two main points. One is I really liked how she thought about making decisions and looking at the uh, the mentality of it, physicality of it, uh, being aligned emotionally and spiritually. So looking at those four components and evaluating on these big decisions. Was she, was she lined up? The other thing I really uh, gained as a takeaway was how she divided out values. You know, she talked about having the, our conscious values, which, which I had, I'd thought about uh, many times before, but then digging deeper and looking at the subconscious values, those that are really out allowing to express themselves and how she was seeing those values as a, as a gift. And, and really how we move to significance by viewing those values as something that we're giving and something that we're gifting. Yeah, mine was the yeah, my, mine good. was around values as well. And I was going to say gifts. The, the idea that our core values are for us to express to others, not for us to, to get for ourselves is a really transformative way for me to think about core values. You know, in our conversation that we had with Doug Linick about the alignment model and, and making sure that our actions are aligned with our goals and our goals to our values. Um, and even the work that we do with our clients, it, it's very focused on the self. It's very focused on the individual. And we can really extrapolate beyond that and make any value pointed the opposite direction and pointed towards other people. And I think that that is a recipe for far more fulfillment than viewing life as what can I get out of it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Decidedly. 
I hope you learned something. I know I did. If you thought our show was five-star worthy, please check us out on iTunes and give us a five-star review. It really helps out a lot, helps people find our community and defeat bad decision-making in their own lives. Check us out at decidedlypodcast.com and on Facebook and Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. Until next time, I'm Sanger Smith with Sean Smith. This is Decidedly. Insights, advice, and comments provided by Sean Smith, Sanger Smith, and speakers identified as part of the Decidedly podcast should not be considered recommendations. Speakers who are not identified as members of Decidedly are expressing their own opinion, and their statements should not be construed as reflecting the views of the Decidedly team. This podcast is produced solely for informational purposes, not personalized advice.